Hey, Three Crosses family, AJ Venegas here, pastor of life groups and discipleship here at Three Crosses. And today we're here to continue our conversation on gender and identity. So with that, let's go deeper. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm sitting here with Pastor Danny Strange. Pastor Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And I wanted to point out to our audience that one major thing has changed since our last podcast. You may have noticed AJ introduced himself as pastor of discipleship and life groups. I want to say congratulations, Pastor AJ Venegas, on completing every aspect (laughs) of your ordination process. I'm excited for our church to celebrate with you when we put a service together soon. So congratulations. Well, thank you. If you are giving me a round of applause, keep your hands on the steering wheel right now because you're probably (laughs) listening in your car. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. It's been a fun journey. Uh, thank you for reading the the paper <laughs> that I wrote and, uh, man, a lot of relevant topics, uh, to be discussed in this specific message over the last two messages. It's kind of gotten like that too. And, uh, just to reorient our crowd a little bit, um, I wanted to read the passages that have inspired this little detour that we're taking into identity issues that our culture faces. So let's start at Colossians 3 verses 10 through 11. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all which then catapulted us into Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, which says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, which is going to be our key phrase this week, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you listened last week to the podcast, we spoke about race and ethnicity with Pastor Larry. And in this conversation, we wrestled with this interesting tension that comes from understanding our identity more so with this phrase union with Christ. And I love our conversations in the past, Pastor Danny, because it gave us this imagery of, hey, we're in heaven, our life is hidden with Christ, and we are sort of above all these categories, and we're looking down and trying our best to figure out how do we steward what we have on this earth while we retain our heavenly identity. So we landed in this conversation of race and ethnicity on like a paradox where in one sense, yes, there is no race or ethnicity and these things no should no longer divide us yet. In another sense, there is race and ethnicity in this world and they accent the church of God. And so we talked about these two extremes where we see race in either everything or race in nothing. And, you know, we kind of talked about the nuances there. My question in order to orient us here is with male and female and gender identity, are we going to run into this same sort of tension going on? Um, Could we just copy and paste our discussion last week and kind of apply it here? And if so, we had a specific direction that race took us in of how to steward that well. 
based on what you know on Paul's large amount of uh, writings on this issue, where do you think this is going to take us in terms of stewarding our gender well? In some ways, race and ethnicity is similar to the conversation about gender identity, where they're in the same category like in Galatians 3.28. There's no longer some of these things. And yet I, I do feel like gender is different because unlike race and ethnicity, Paul and other authors spent a lot of time in the New Testament wrestling with how does gender identity work in a new covenant community called the church? What, what is the role of women and men in the church? What is the role of wives and husbands in the church? And so really the, the tension, the wrestling match in the scriptures is, okay, we know there's no longer male or female in the sense that this line of demarcation, right? Men and women alike are heirs to the inheritance of the covenant promises of the kingdom of God. There is no distinction. Men and women alike are equal at the foot of the cross. Uh, like Larry even said in his sermon two weeks ago, we are all sons of God, which is language used very intentionally, that we all, men and women both, are sons of God in the sense that we have the full rights as adopted children of the Most High God. So we are the same and yet, we know that we are still men and women. And Paul and others spent a lot of time in the New Testament trying to figure out what is the cultural norms for the church of Jesus in relation to these issues in light of these tensions. Which then launches us into your sermon, which, um, again, if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go listen to it on our website. Um, but one of the things we talked about with race and ethnicity and all the conversations going on around our culture is the trouble of defining our, our terms. And so you presented in your sermon, uh, a graphic, at least in your sermon notes, um, it had a graphic where it had the term sex at the bottom layer of this graphic right in between was nature. And then finally gender at the top. And it was presented as these layers where sex was the bottom nature, the middle, uh, gender at the top. And so just for clarity's sake, before we get into conversations about um, debates about this stuff, uh, skeptical questions, which I'm really excited about, um, could you just take stock of where we are at in the cultural conversation around these things and you know, help us define what we're talking about here? Yeah, and in terms of relation to culture, I think the, the two pieces of this puzzle, these three layers you mentioned that are come out most often in culture are our sex, biological sex and gender, right? And so, you know, yesterday we, we said that there are two sexes, male and female. That is not a controversial statement in our culture. Um, we talk about a transgender community. We don't necessarily, even when we use the word transsexual, referring to transgender, right? So even when we're talking about transgender people, we talk about people who are born biologically male, born biologically female. And so sex kind of is that baseline of, okay, there's this biological reality that we enter the world with. Um, and we can talk about some of the variations therein. Um, but for the most part, we do believe as a culture even, and in the scriptures that sex is binary. Um, and then gender kind of becomes the, the fruit of our sexuality. Right. And so I use that layer of nature. So I almost picture these layers as like a flower pot where the seed is sex. The soil is natural law, or we called it the creator order, the natural order. And then gender is what we see on the outside, kind of the cultural expression of the sex that we have, male or female, how we identify um, in, in our gender expression. And so a lot of the terms are the same. We don't talk a lot about natural order or uh, created order in terms of our society. That was a, a newer concept I brought from the scriptures and from philosophy. Uh, but most of the time we are talking about sex, biological and gender, this kind of cultural social construct of what it means to be man or what it means to be woman. 
So I'd love to spend the podcast episode this week breaking down those three um, layers, if you will, um, because I think in each layer there comes a typical skeptical question that is trying to undermine this flower pot analogy. So uh, the, the first point you made in your sermon was scripture's treatment of gender is rooted in reproductive biology. And you cited Mark 10, which is when the Pharisees come and ask Jesus about divorce and Jesus responds, um, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So if I'm putting my skeptic hat on here, I think the skeptic would look at your claim saying, okay, this is a biological discussion. Well, if that's the case, then I know that, hey, sometimes our biology doesn't wire toward this binary. It doesn't uh, come out as male and female. I'm thinking of cases of intersex here. I'm thinking, especially if we're speaking on biology, um, you know, biologically, our brains might be hardwired to not feel like we're, we're trapped inside of the wrong body. Um, I think of, you know, there's some research being done in a book I was reading saying like the uterine environment or the environment in your womb when you're being born and formed could impact your biological sex and how you feel about yourself. And so the skeptical question comes based on this and then realizing, hey, maybe this was more of a passage about divorce and not necessarily the binary of man and woman. Um, so how can we be so sure about the fruit of gender when our very foundation of biological sex is on shaky ground already? Yeah, I think, like I said before, even in culture, most of the time when we're talking about gender, kind of the fruit of of the biological sex concept, we are, for the sake of the argument, um, admitting that there are two, there's a binary of male and female at a biological level. I think uh, concepts like intersex and, and these, there's a lot of complex factors that come into what is biological maleness, right? We talk about chromosomal uh, maleness. We can talk about hormonal maleness. We could talk about uh, sex, reproductive organs. We could talk about ability to reproduce. There's all these different aspects that make someone biologically male even. Um, but really, I think as we kind of talk about these concepts in culture and in the church, I think a lot of these are the, the exception that prove the rule, right? Even in the scriptures, we see that there is a space for folks that don't meet the biological norms, right? Jesus talks about uh, people who are made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven, people who are born that way, this idea that like not everyone fits into this binary of male, female at an anat anatomy, biological level. Um, and so I would say when we talk even about this concept, we've been talking about all identity concepts as a stewardship, that would be the same thing, right? You have a, a complex biological situation in your own life. Um, you you ask the Lord, what do I do with this? What what is? Let's treat this as a stewardship. Um, and like everything else in our discussion, there is a, a spectrum, a variation of folks along these lines, right? We talked about with uh, natural law, not every man is stronger than every woman. And yet categorically, right? Men tend to be the stronger species um, of male and female, right? Um, and so really there are always exceptions, but um, especially in this case of uh, the binary of sex at the base of this pyramid here, um, these exceptions seem to prove the rule that for the most part, 
every culture understands that there are two types of humans. There are male humans and female humans. And these exceptions in society are, are, are real. And yet, um, you know, even when we're talking about gender identity, we're talking about gender identity. We're not talking about sexual identity at mm-hmm. that level. Hmm. Your next point was that scripture's treatment of gender relies on the natural order. And this is where things got interesting because uh, here are some points that were in your sermon notes. Men tend to be more focused on external reality while women tend to have a deeper connection to their own bodies and internal reality. Uh, You cited Proverbs 31, uh, the typical Proverbs 31 women passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, whereas there's this debate going on of how men should present themselves as their speaking in the church and how women should present themselves as they're prophesying in the church. And, um, you know, you cited first Corinthians 11 verse three. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. So even there, it's like insinuating that there's some differences going on. I can just hear people in the audience listening to that and saying, man, pastor Danny, it just feels like those are such generalizations you know, especially our, our sisters out there just saying like, Hey, here's a man telling me like what women are supposed to be, you know, that would probably be a really skeptical thought going on. Um, and perhaps it's because, you know, I don't fit into these categories that we're laying out what we women and men tend to be, or even it's, I don't want to fit into those categories. I know you mentioned, um, these categories have caused a lot of harm and, and with past experiences, uh, with masculinity or femininity um, and whatever it is. And I think this is all leading to a question that has become increasingly popular in today's day and age because uh, you'll notice that the younger generation of people who are interested in religion aren't necessarily asking whether there is truth behind it um, because postmodernism kind of said, hey, it's either your truth or no truth at all. But the more important question I think going on in our culture is, is this good? Is this beautiful? Does this create a beautiful and good society? And so what, what do you say to that? Um, does making these broad generalizations like this and, and trying to understand what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man and, uh, putting it out there, is that good for society? What would you say to that? That's interesting to me. Cause this is one of the like great, tensions of our society and even great like head scratching tensions of our society where we see every day in our society everyone believes that men and women are different and everyone pretty much agrees on how and we talk about it all the time right for for decades women have been like razzing men for not being in touch with their emotions right we can look at uh we look at, you know, you go out with your friends. Uh, this is a case in every guy that I know and every woman that I know, right? This is not even just a, you know, sub women, sub men thing. Every time I see a group of guys hang out, they come back and their wives say, what did you guys talk about? They're like, oh, I don't know. We talked about sports. We talked about <laughs> philosophy. We talked about whatever. Hey, how's AJ's daughter doing? He's like, oh, I didn't know he had a daughter, right? And <laughs> and women are constantly like, these men are boneheads, right? They don't even know how to connect right. with one another. Um, and we see on programming, we see lifetime television for women. We see ESPN programming for men, right? Are there women that like ESPN? Absolutely. Are there men that like lifetime movies? Absolutely. Right. But categorically, we all know men and women are different and we even know how, right? And, and we talk about it all the time, right? We talk about it in a joking way. 
And yet, in our current kind of cultural, societal kind of setup, we're so terrified to build our lives around it. Hmm. We have a hard time admitting it's true even when we say it's true, right? Uh, and I think that's that's true both male and female. Um, but in terms of the question of is it good? Absolutely. I think embracing these categories allows us to finally flourish and thrive in a society where we have been untethered for a long, long time, right? I think of yeah, men who have a hard time getting in touch with their emotions, men who have a hard time connecting, men who have a hard time doing these things that are classically hard for men to do. I think, A, they need to learn how to do these things that are classically hard for men to do. But B, I think they need to explore, why is that? What are men wired to do? And how can they get in touch with that? Not in a toxic masculinity way, not in a patriarchal way, but in a way uh, where they actually find thriving by embracing who they are created to be. I think the reason that this is called natural law, the reason this is called the natural order in a lot of philosophy is because this is stuff that is like human nature. All of us know that deep within, I truly believe that we all really believe this stuff is true. And we even talk about it all the time. We use it in language. I mentioned on, on Sunday that even in a, a feminist workplace environment, the role of men in a feminist environment is to create space for women, to empower women, to give women mobilization within the workforce. That is this concept of male headship. Men need to lead the way in providing and creating access for women. We believe in these concepts. We believe men should be held accountable to these concepts. And yet we have a hard time allowing ourselves to believe the things we believe because we feel like there's some tension and because we know that this has been abused in the past so many times. We also know that there are exceptions to every one of these rules, that there is more variation within each gender than there are categorically opposed to each gender. And so it's really hard for us to nail stuff down because we do want to allow people to be free to be outside of these molds. And so I'm not arguing with any of that. But I am saying that if we actually draw these circles here and say, hey, this is what men tend to look like. This is what females turn women tend to look like. We actually can find flourishing each of us genders within this and even as we relate to one another. I'm praying that our listeners caught that vision as they were listening to your sermon in those last passages talking about the dynamic between husband and wife. And I know the scriptures have a lot to say about that. And um, I just think like if we followed that vision of relationship between males and females in marriage, but also just understanding what or how God has wired us to be male and female. I think we end up in a great place as a society. And I think that question you asked of, is it good, is a good question, right? Because yeah. I, I would think that most people in the history of the world, because this is human nature, would agree deep inside that, right, if a burglar breaks into the home, it is the man's job, not the woman's job, to get out of bed and risk his own life for the sake of his family. That is a man's burden to bear. And yet we don't know why, right? But we do hmm. believe it's true. And so in our society, we wrestle with that because we think that feels archaic. That feels unenlightened. A, a woman should be able to stand up and protect her family if she wants to, right? And so we even have these tensions in society where in our own hearts, we feel like, okay, in America, in this enlightened world, Maybe that's just old school and no men and women are the same, right? If a mugger comes out when you're walking down the street, right? And pulls a gun on you, the woman should step in front of the man half the time, right? Let's be equal, right? We, if we But we have a hard time truly believing that. And so I think we land in this tension. And so I think what, what I'm advocating from natural law, from the scriptures um, and for human flourishing is that actually leaning into what we know is true is good, mm. even though it's potentially dangerous because 
if we start making these categories and circles around men and women, especially men can use these categories to abuse and uh, rise to power unlawfully and intimidatedly like we talked about. Um, and so there's a risk therein. But I think that's when we start talking about gender in the scriptures, we see that there's a stewardship that men and women both have been given to use uh, these these categories that God has given us, wired within us, to bring flourishing and life, not harm and oppression. It's amazing to think of how connected truth and goodness are, how if you're aligned with the truth about who we are, as whether it's gender or race, then it's probably going to lead, you know, the classic trope of Proverbs is that if you align with the truth, it's probably going to be good for you. And so it leads to the next question of people who think this is not true. So we just talked about two things here, sex a little bit. Um, we argued, okay, from the skeptic's perspective, a skeptic would think that this sexual biology argument would be on shaky grounds. And now the trope that we hear a lot is that gender is actually just socially constructed, right? Like a skeptic would say, Danny, that's nice, but like, look at all the ways that society has constructed that and informed you of that. And so it almost seems like these two things together have a result. And it's almost as if like this is fueling what we see in the transgenderism movement, where it's the idea that, you know, sex, my biology, it's not necessarily binary. It's um, maybe not the like truth about who I am and uh, you know, gender is really socially constructed. So it is, it's flexible. I can change this. And at the same time uh, I see it in homosexuality as well, which is another uh, big topic issue of like, well, it doesn't really matter the distinction between male and female. And so you could see how these um, are typically what they call downstream of this problem of identifying gender. And so it's interesting because it feels like as this grows increasingly, I talk to people that they have someone in their life that's struggling with some issue or another. So I'm wondering if we could zoom out for a second based on everything that we learned on Sunday in this sermon and in this talk right now, um, how would you help somebody navigate conversations around this, uh, these two topics? Yeah, what you said about, gender being socially constructed. We did talk about that on Sunday, that it's it's not a mere social construction. It's based on biology. It's based on uh, natural law and, and reason. But, um, but at the end of the day, gender is the social construction of how a society views this. So my two responses to that would be, A, part of what we're talking about is uh, within the context of the covenant community of the church, what is the social construction of gender, right? And so part of it is, you know, you're going to grow up in a culture that has preconceived notions of gender, whether you grew up in, right, China 2000 BC, or you grew up in Africa and 50 years ago, or you grew up in America today, or you grew up in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, these are all different societies that have slightly different views of what gender identity looks like. And so part of what we're talking about is a social construction of gender through the lens of scripture that Paul wrestles with primarily in the New Testament of saying, okay, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ address gender construction, uh, the social construction of gender within the society that we call the covenant community of the church of Jesus. And so there is a, okay, I'm going to step into faith with Jesus, step into the church. Uh, how is gender constructed within the church, right? If it is a social construction, uh, what is the church's social construction? Um, second, we've been talking about every aspect of identity. So gender identity is one of these as a stewardship. And so part of what we have to do with every aspect of our identity, if we are believers in Christ is say, like you said, where we started, we live in heaven with Jesus. 
this. We look down upon every aspect of our human identity and we say, what do I do with this? Right? What do I do with my sexuality? What do I do with my gender identity? What do I do with my race, my ethnicity? What do I do with my vocation? What do I do with these different aspects of who I am? God, what, what would you have me do with this, this thing you've placed in my hand? And so I think part of that, when I talk to folks who are either struggling or wrestling or considering or whatever it is with their gender identity, uh, stewardship language is what we talk about a lot is, hey, let's kind of go back to uh, what would the Lord have you to do with this, with these desires that you have or these thought that, thoughts that you have or this situation you have biologically, right? We talked about some of those. Uh, as a stewardship, God has called you to steward whatever it is that you're experiencing. How do you steward this in a direction of flourishing as we see in the scriptures, as we see in philosophy, as we see in ethics, as we see in right the body life of the church? And so um, if I was talking to somebody who was struggling or coming at me skeptically or whatever, like you say. Um, I think the question of stewardship is a lot like as Christians, we we live life open-handedly and we say, God, well, what do I do with this? What do I do with what I'm experiencing? If I'm talking to somebody who who's approaching a friend, a family member um, who is struggling with these things, right? I would probably coach them in this direction just to say, hey, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not trying to convince your person to believe what Christians believe mm-hmm. about gender and sexual identity. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not convincing your non-believing friend to act a certain way. Um, really, like you say, take a step back, look at the big picture, right? The, the gospel of Jesus is all of us are invited into this covenant community that has been made possible by the blood of Jesus. And we've been given life by the resurrection of Jesus. We've been grafted into this community, this multi-ethnic, right? Uh, community of both sexes, both genders, right? We, we are all together living life, figuring out what it means to follow Christ as his holy people. And so really it's kind of start with that mindset of, hey, is this someone who needs to be invited to, to jump in, to join us um, in in the covenant, New Testament covenant community called the church? Um, is this someone who needs to find Jesus? Um, and if it is, right, someone who has not yet stepped into faith with Jesus, that does become that primary issue of like, how do we love them, serve them, care for them? Um, but really it's like, uh, gender, sexuality, all these different concepts are downstream as well to the gospel. Mm. Um, where if we're going to look at these things as a stewardship, it does presuppose that we've said, Hey, all of my life belongs to the Lord. I'm dead. I live with him. Now, what do I do with this? If you would not say your life belongs to the Lord, if you would not say I'm dead, if you would not say that I'm finding union with Christ, you're probably not in a place where you're asking the question, now what do I do with these aspects of my identity? And yet, these things that we talk about are good and true in and of themselves. And so, right, there's a bit of a tension there of learning how to care for people well and love them well, bringing the truth, um, but also recognizing that the primary truth, these these issues all start to kind of fall in place as we find ourselves hidden with Christ in God. There's one last aspect of stewardship that might go hidden in this conversation, and that's the stewardship of the church, the church at large, the church body. As the problem grows increasingly, we're going to run into people all over the place that are struggling with this very thing, uh, just like race and ethnicity uh, here, gender and sexuality. Um, you know, I had a professor once in education tell me that like, this might be the generational problem that's going to bring the most divide because it's so, um, the conversation is so divided right now and people see it as not a good thing to say, this is what the Bible says about gender and sexuality. And so I'm wondering as sort of a last word here, um, you have the mic for, uh, Three Crosses listeners of the Going Deeper podcast. How would you 
hope and dream that we as a church body would treat people struggling with this issue as they step foot in our doors and as they begin to uh, sit in the pews with us, right, right beside us and come to our life groups and um, come to our student ministries. How, how would you dream and pray that we respond to these people? Yeah, I, th- I think the, you know, it's funny. I have like these two uh, competing dreams in my mind that I would dream would be both applied simultaneously, but I could see how one would like negate the other. On one hand, part of my dream, studying this these last few weeks and doing a deep dive, been talking to some of like the world's leading experts on gender and philosophy. And it's been a really um, life-giving journey for me. And even in my own personal life, embrace what it means for me to be a man. Um, I think part of my dream is that we would realize that these teachings we find in the scripture, like we've talked about in this podcast, are good and life-giving for all people. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we we think about what the church believes about various things and we're like, oh, it's just kind of a drag, but it's just what the church believes, right? Right, right. But my passion even in bringing the sermon on Sunday, um, and if you haven't listened to it, you should listen to it. Um, my passion in bringing the sermon on Sunday is to uncover for folks, like this can unlock for you a part of who God has created you to be, right? Regardless of what you struggle with, regardless of how you're wrestling, this is good teaching, mm. not in terms of the quality of my sermon, but this is good teaching, <laughs> like capital G, in terms of like uh, the teaching of the church uh, brings life. We look at our society, we've talked about this the entire year, um, that's been struggling to find themselves in identifying themselves in every one of these categories. And honestly, it's only led to a spiral of despair and depression and mental illness that none of us are getting better. We're all like finding ourselves like drowning, trying to identify ourselves and find ourselves in these markers. And so what we see in the scriptures and what we see in the history of the church, what we see in philosophy and natural law is is something that actually lifts us up above the water and gives us a vantage point to realize, okay, there's ground to stand on. I could stand on this ground and I could find flourishing there. Uh, and so I, I think part of it is like this, um, I, I want our people to see that this is good and life-giving and creates a verdant, verdant flourishing society. Uh, but then the tension is, I imagine these people kind of like when they discover something great, they would have run out and tell everyone, right? Um, and it's like, part of it is like, man, you got people who disagree. You got people who don't see it yet. We got people who are struggling. We got people who are in despair. It's like, sometimes it's not helpful to just run out and be like, I have all the answers, right? And so I think coming alongside this idea, if I want our people to see that these teachings are deeply good and life-giving, um, I want them to to realize that uh, folks are, are really struggling in deep ways in a lot of areas in life. And sometimes what's difficult, even as I crafted a sermon like this, is I realized like shepherding it is sometimes is feeding people what they're able to understand based on where they are right now. Right. And so like we can speak a lot more bluntly about a lot of these issues. But I feel like if we did, it wouldn't be less true necessarily, but it would be hard pill for folks to swallow because they haven't yet. Uh, wrap their mind around the contextualization of what these things believe, what these things mean. Um, and so I, I think for our folks, I would love for us to go on a deep dive of realizing that the scripture's teachings are good and bring life. Um, but then as we go to apply the teachings of the scripture to people, we do them like shepherds um, or like doctors or like somebody carefully and graciously and beautifully learning how and when to apply uh, this life-giving medicine uh, to the souls of men and women in our society. Um, I would want us to be a 
church that bears with people, that sits with people, that listens, that processes, that gives folks space to disagree, that takes on their critique and makes them dive deeper themselves, doesn't fight back, that they're slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, um, and really that we would walk with people in the same way that God is long-suffering and walks with us as we invite folks on this journey of following Jesus, finding life in him, not finding life in their sexual or gender identity. Well, one of the places this comes up is in membership course, and we talk a lot about our stances on what is the orthodox view of sex and gender and all those things. And one of the strategies we employed was, hey, if you're going to have a conversation, we'd love to meet with you face to face so that you can see our eyes, you can see our emotions, and like we can, you can see that uh, we're here for you and walking through this with you. So my encouragement would be to simply just sit down with somebody uh, going through this and just have a conversation and uh, let them see you for your heart. And because it's really how many times have you misinterpreted a text message or an email um, and read people's emotions into that. So um, yeah, continue to uh, be encouraged. And this has been a really encouraging series talking about identity. And so Pastor Danny, thanks for joining us back in the hot seat. And uh, you got a special guest next week. Next week, we got Pastor Ryan Suzuki talking about vocation. And so don't miss that podcast. We're going to kick AJ out of the booth and I'm going to interview Ryan next week. Come on on back. Sounds good. See you then.